Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adwell Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adwell Marcy, and today I have the distinct pleasure of introducing yet another legend in season four of the show, Matthew Pollard. Now, Matthew is an he's someone that basically got introduced to me by our friend Carolyn Cole, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Um, she mentioned him, and I immediately had to reach out to him. Now, Matthew's written a bestseller, The Introvert's Edge, and we're going to be speaking to him about everything. So, Matthew, thanks for being on the show. Man, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. So, I'm so glad to have you on board. I know we had a little bit of uh, technical trouble with, like, drills and building works and stuff, but I thought, you know, as long as we're through it, which we have been, we can get the show rock and rolling. Real quick, though, uh, as a shout-out to all my sponsors listening to the show. So we've got uh, AdamMarcy.com. You guys can go check out the uh, website, listen to the podcast, opt-in, leave us a subscription, uh, subscribe, review, and comment. Those are always good things for us, and share as well if you like the episode. And also sponsored by MatthewPollard.com and TheIntrovertsEdge.com. Both are Matthew's websites and actually brilliant places to go. And, yeah, I checked out. It's a pretty cool place. You'll learn a lot more from there. And uh, also, if I'm not mistaken, you get a chapter of the book as well if you opt in, right? Well, that's exactly right, mate. My, my thought is that while a lot of people offer free chapters of their book, mine's about 10% of the book itself. And the way I see it is it actually has the steps of the sales process, which we'll chat about. And if people do nothing more than just download that and apply it, you know, they're going to probably double their sales process, uh, their sales in about the next 60 days. That's pretty awesome. I love that. So real quick, just as, jump, uh, as a shout out to like your uh, bio more than anything for me, what really stood out for me when I was reading through your book and also um, reading through you when I was doing my research was the idea that you're not, you're an introvert. You're essentially someone that is quite simply, well, I wouldn't say personally, I wouldn't say you're an introvert. For me, I see you as an, as an uh, as an ambivert, someone that switches between the two quite well, but for you as well, you describe yourself as an introvert, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things that I've always taken as a point of contention with the whole introvert, extrovert, ambivert discussion is that for me, I think that there is introvert and extrovert. I think the people that consider themselves ambiverts, learned extroverts, recovering introverts, however you want to put it, these people are actually introverts that have learned the skill sets to be successful in extroverted forums. What I mean by that is that I have been absolutely shocked since I launched the book and started a podcast called The Introvert's Edge off the back of it where I've interviewed highly successful introverts at just how many highly successful introverts I had projected upon them being extroverted people. People like Jamie Masters, the number three podcaster in the world, I interviewed her and she told me about this rash she used to get. You know, she does a video into uh, podcast. So she had this massive rash that used to come out when she interviewed people. People like Brian Smith, who founded a billion dollar brand called Ugg Boots, the big sheepskin boot yep. company. Like these unbelievable people, even Jeff Shaw, who, you know, travels around the world teaching sales as well. All these people are highly introverted. And here's what I see the major difference is. And, you know, I highlight this in the book as well. But, you know, there are so many definitions of what makes an introvert, what makes an extrovert, what makes an ambivert. But here is the one qualifying key to me. It's where you draw your energy from. If you draw your energy from being around a group of people, you're an extrovert. If you draw it from being at home by yourself or just having some private time, you and your laptop, writing the next chapter of your book – you're an introvert. And I've seen this easily proven, you know, a good example would be 
I, I run num the number three festival in America for small business. It's called Small Business Festival. And the first year that I launched it, I had Jim Cathcart, who's a personal friend of mine, speak from the stage. He was our closing keynote. He's the number one most award-winning speaker in the world. I'd been speaking from the stage all day. He'd been speaking and around the stage all day. At the end of it, he was pumped and wanted to go down Rainy Street and see the live, you know, Austin's the live music capital of the world. Go and see a bunch of live music. I was exhausted. I wanted to go into a quiet room, switch off all the lights except for the TV and zone out. So that's the real qualifying difference. It doesn't mean you can't do these activities. It doesn't mean you can't even enjoy them once you've learned the skill sets. It just may not be where you draw your energy. I agree with that. There is a lot of um, there is a lot of misconceptions around that that I find in particular uh, in particular. And the only reason I use the word ambivert is because there are a few rare individuals that kind of walk that line. And I say few. Because out uh, because I actually genuinely do love being around people. I would say I'm an extrovert by nature. One of my best friends, though, however, you see them outside. And I've known them since we were kids. They tend to be that type of person, an extrovert on the outside. And I thought they were a learned extrovert because I knew them when we were kids. Um, but no, when they're on their own, they recharge. They love to relax. But if you say to them, hey, do you want to go out tonight? Their first words are, yeah, let's go. They wouldn't even care. They're just like they want to be out the door. While they're there, if you sit and they'll stay there for about an hour, two, three hours, get what they want done. They'll be like, all right, I'm going home. What are you doing? Just want to go relax, go chill out by themselves for hours on end. So a few of them do exist from time to time from what I've seen. Now, what's really interesting to me is there's there's a claim, not a claim. There's something you actually did say that is actually very, very true that I've seen over my my own career as a salesman is you'll find extra, uh, introverts sell better for longer than an extrovert because this is misconception that selling is all about talking where in reality, from what I believe it is, it's more about listening and nothing, no one does that better than an introvert. And that's something that you actually do get into if I remember correctly is the idea of asking the right questions in order to get someone, uh, in order to have your ideal prospect give you the information they need in, or you need in order to move the sale forward, correct? Well, exactly right. I mean, one of the biggest hurdles, I think, for an extroverted salesperson is the ability to ask great questions and then to actually listen to the answers. And more than just listen to the answers, but empathize with the person specifically. One of the biggest things that I kind of put out there is both introverts and extroverts have their advantages and their disadvantages. For an extrovert, it's the ability to actively listen. And it's their ability to emotionally that to resonate emotionally with what's being told to them. Their emotional intelligence is sometimes a little bit less. Now, both of these things are trainable skills. As a matter of fact, there's books out that teach emotional intelligence. There's books out that teach empathy, which is another thing that extroverts sometimes struggle with. And there's you know huge amounts of books out there that talk about active listening. As a matter of fact, I've got a whole podcast on my other podcast called Better Business Coach that teaches business coaches how to actively listen. However. However, that's the troubles that extroverts have. Introverts, on the other hand, have the trouble of actually approaching the conversation, building rapport. The difference is that an extrovert believes that they can sell, knows that they can sell, and sees these as skill sets they just need to get better at. 
An introvert, on the other hand, believes that they have to have the gift of the gab, believes that's an unlearnable skill, so therefore never gets to really utilize the powers that they truly have. Now, the reason why I put out there that introverts actually outsell extroverts hands down is because here's the thing that I found. An extrovert's ability to sell is constantly based on their mute, mood. So they're having a great day, they'll sell more. They make a sale, the chances of them making the next sale are highly likely. You know, but then they have a fight with their, their partner, their family member, their friend, their boss at work, all of a sudden their sales will plummet. And you know, they could have a bad conversation with a, a customer and their sales will plummet for not just the day, but sometimes weeks to months on end. On the, other, on the other side, you've got the introvert. Now the introvert has a whole different process to selling. It's not based on their mood, they actually have to go to a sales system and utilize that. Now while at the start, they're disadvantaged, once they've learned the sales system, which takes a little bit more work, once they have a structure for what they say, when they say it, how they say it, it doesn't matter whether they're having a great day, a bad day, they just follow the process. The good thing with that is that that delivers predictable long-term results. So while an extrovert may outsell an introvert on the occasional day or maybe even the occasional week, over the long term, an introvert will beat a extroverted salesperson hands down. And to qualify that, not all introverts, but the introverts that have a systemized process. I mean, Brian Tracy years ago wrote that the top 10% of all sales performers have a planned presentation. And yet, the introverts still believe in going off the cuff, and if they don't succeed, they have to have the gift of the gab. And that's what I'm trying to say in the book. It's that sales is a process. And the whole focus of the book is, for an introvert, learning sales can be uncomfortable. So the book is written as a series of stories. It's written more like a novel. And the goal is that you get to laugh out loud as these real people, and these are all real people in the, sto in the, in the stories in the book, learn the sales process and transform their lives. That's amazing. See, I love that because I agree with you entirely. Um, when I was doing door to door sales all those years ago, I'd find that if I had a really bad morning, I'd just I'd plummet and donut literally for about two, three weeks at a time. And it would be over the little minutest things. But when I was having a really good day where I'd sell one, I'd come out as the top salesman of the day. It was always one of those things like how I felt. Now, yeah, something. I I actually have a really great um, a, a great story of a person. This isn't in the book, but there's a person that when I first learned how to sell, and for people that don't know my backstory, you know, I kind of fell into sales by really, I well, I didn't definitely didn't want to be in sales as an introvert. I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I took a job at the at a real estate agent, but not a job selling from the front, a guy in the back office doing data entry, trying to find myself for the year. And just before Christmas, I got told, uh, got told by my employer that the company was shutting down and I, you know, I was getting laid off. And I then had to find a job on the quick. You know, it was Christmas in Australia, which is our summer break as well. We go on holidays from the 20th of December to the 15th to 20th of January. There's no jobs to be had. And the only place I could get work was commission only sales. You know, my manager used to have this saying, you know, throw mud up against the wall and see what sticks, which sounds like a cool saying until you're the mud, right? Yep. <laughs> but the reason the reason why they're saying that is what they're looking for is the extroverted people that can just stand up on their own in their own right and go out and sell. Now for me, that wasn't going to work. Now after five days of product training, I got thrown on this road and I got told to go and sell. And you know, I was about to walk into the first business and 
realized that nobody actually had taught me what to say when I walked in the door. No one had taught me how to sell. So it was 93 doors before my first sale. That's 93 doors of rejection, 93 doors of getting told to go and get a real job before I made my first sale. And, you know, I remember walking out. I was absolutely ecstatic. I'd made about $70 for about 45 seconds. And then I had this realization, I got to do this again tomorrow, right? So... <laughs> That was not okay with me. I mean, I'm not going to spend a year doing this, but then my father worked 80 hours a week, breaking his back to support us. I wasn't going to go and tell him that I'm going to quit on my first day either. Now, learning from a Brian Tracy or a Zig Ziglar book just wasn't really a solution for me. I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. It was going to take me over a year to read that book, let alone apply it, but I learned how to sell utilizing YouTube videos. And I taught myself the process of selling and I taught myself how to be successful. Well, long story short, I got promoted about seven times within this organization, but about three or four times, uh, about the third time I got promoted, I became a sales manager and I was in charge of this group of salespeople. And while I'd normally been in charge of just the introverted people, because you know I became the number one salesperson in the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. And of course, being an introvert, they were like, great, you can teach all our other introverts. And I had all these introverts out selling the extroverts. But then they put me in charge of the extroverts too. And I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do with these people? <laughs> and here was the funny thing, that when I taught the extroverts the sales process, it worked for them too. The only difference was they wanted to keep gravitating back to their personality and running off the cuff, so they were less likely to follow the process. And that's really the advantage of the introvert, which is that once they have a process, they'll follow it every day of the week because they know that that's their reason for success, while an extrovert will feel like they have to take a small step back to make, take a massive leap forward, but then they can't really be themselves in the room even though the sales are higher, you know, they're not feeling like they're really selling their way. So they gravitate back to their mood or their sales process that, you know, gravitates predominantly, the ability predominantly is created by their mood and sales can go up and down. But just going back to what you were saying about your sales going up and down, I had this salesperson, and I won't mention his name, but I'm talking you know, hardcore salesperson. This is the kind of guy that when he got an objection, he'd take a step forward rather than a step back, right? He'd advance on the sale. Every sale was a battle to be won, a, a foe to be vanquished. Wow. And everything he sold was based on his personality, right? He's aggressive, take no prisoners personality. And he was a commission only salesperson that never really rattled him. And then he bought a car and it was his dream car that he bought and he was so excited. I mean, this guy was earning well over $100,000 a year, and he was 19. I mean, he had every reason to be ecstatic. He bought his dream car, and the payment was a little bit high, but he knew he could cover it. But here's the thing. After eight weeks, his sales were just, they were horrible. And I sat down with him, and I'm like, what's the deal? He was so stressed out about his car payment that he couldn't sell on a day-to-day -day basis. Every single sale, instead of being indifferent and not worrying and going into the battle, right, raring to attack, instead, he was like the victim in every sale. And when they didn't, they could see his desperation on his face. Yeah. I ended up having to get him to sell his car. And then as soon as he did, his sales went back up. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that world. For me, I think introverts have a massive advantage. And extroverts, if I was in that situation, I'd want to plan presentation too. Because the last thing I want to do is if I'm having a bad week, maybe my, my wife's upset with me or maybe my, my parents are sick and I've got to pay their medical bills. The last thing I want to do is my ability to earn income plummet. So 
that's why I'm so, so focused on making sure that all people, introverted or extroverted, or you know, regardless, have a planned presentation. But the reason why I love sharing this with introverts is because without a planned presentation, they've got no right or business being in sales generally. They generally are completely, you know, destined to fail. But with the process, wow, they're amazing. Yep. No, I agree with that entirely. There's just the whole thing with um it's the whole idea of running around or taking a slow taking your time and being focused on what you do. It's really the big thing between the two. Now, something you actually kind of took the question I wanted to ask you right out of my mouth, which is how did you get into sales? And you just answered it. So my, I guess the next thing I really got to ask is, so as far as it goes, do you watch, what are your favorite three movies that you love to go and watch? Favorite three movies. Interesting. Uh, okay. So my first, my first favorite movie is actually a Braveheart. Braveheart, Gladiator, and The Last Samurai are probably my three favorite movies. You'll notice they're all straightforward war movies, but it's funny. They're all stories of the underdog, right, Uh, which is why I like them. I mean, you know, Gladiator, he was the general of the army, and then he becomes a slave and, you know, saves Rome. Braveheart, he was a guy that was just trying to to live a happy life, and next thing you knew, he – he saved the Scot- the soul of Scotland, and you know the guy um, in the Last Samurai was was a military person from America who ended up changing the 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 world in Japan. And I and all of them are these underdog stories of people that make a substantial difference. And I th- I think the reason why I really resonate with them is I think that as when people first get started in life they have been kind of programmed to chase money. And, you know, I've been there. I I mean, I was responsible for five multi-million dollar businesses before I turned 30. Didn't necessarily make me happy, but they made me a lot of money. But then as I got closer and closer to my fifth business, I started to realize the more and more I gravitated to things that allowed me to feel like I was really helping people making a difference in an exponential way and, you know, that's, that's why my book I'm, I'm so happy with. I mean, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader in late high school, and now I have a book that's a bestseller on Audible that's in over 600 Barnes & Noble stores, that's in airport bookstores in Australia. I like to say it's in Fifth Avenue all the way to Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's been endorsed by Harvard, by Princeton, by Neil Patel. It's, you know, this is some kid from Australia that had no right doing any of this stuff from a little tough neighborhood that's achieved these massive things and now gets to help so, so many people. For me, I feel that a lot of people, as they get older, they start to look for the way that they can really leave a legacy. And I think the best way to leave a legacy is to create something that allows people to change their lives for the better. And I think that, you know, the movie Gladiator, the movie Braveheart, you know, the movie Last Samurai, you know, I, obviously they did this in a much more of a profound way than I do with my little book. But I feel like that little book, you know, is changing people's lives. And that makes me ecstatic every day. Yeah, and that's amazing, especially with those three movies. I really, really love seeing them. Now, personally for myself, obviously, when I watch a movie, I tend to deconstruct it. But lately, I've been uh, I've been going back and rewatching the Rocky movies and the Creed movie. <laughs> I yep, freaking love those. Now, the thing is, I've not seen Rocky one and two for years. Like Rocky three and four, I love the most. Rocky one and two, I really didn't get into. I like them, but I didn't really sit down and watch them too too many times. And the weirdest thing was I sat down and watched them the other day and I started crying. I have no idea why. It's like this emotional response to it. So I sat down, notepad and pen. Anytime I feel something emotional, I tend to write it down because it, it shows me that that's something that's connecting to me that I need to look into. 
the reason I bring that up and the reason I asked you about um, your favorite movies are quite simply, I have this, I have this theory that the movies and books that we gravitate to are the parts of us that we either want to be like or the parts of us that we want to explore consciously or unconsciously. So for you, the underdog role is quite a prevalent thing. I'm assuming that's something that was quite uh, prevalent growing up. And I, I'm right there with you with the whole reading speed thing because I'm dyslexic and I write for a living. Like, talk about a complete misnomer for, like, people. Like, what do you do for a living? I'm a copywriter. Okay. You have spelling mistakes. I'm dyslexic, which is why I have an editor. Okay. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, about that? I've been, you know, I've, I've won international blogging awards for the same reason. And I think dyslexics actually have an advantage. You know, I've got this thing that I say frequently, which is that the adversities in life stem the success of our future. Yep. And I think that writers that love to write, they put too many words on a page. For me, if I'm going to write something, every single word has to have an impact. Otherwise, why am I making it harder for the reader? Exactly. So for me, copywriting, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think with the movies, I think you got it right. Uh, I think that the one thing that I really like in, in these movies is not just the, the story of the underdog, but it's that and I think this has a huge prevalence in, in the world of entrepreneurship or really anything in life, that anything worth doing is going to be hard for a period of time. Yep. And I think that's one of the stories, you know, I mean, obviously every one of those people outside The Last Samurai die in the end and obviously I don't want to die in the end. Luckily enough, I'm not trying to change a country and go to war. I'm trying to change the mindsets of people around sales and I'm trying to, you know, fight a war around, you know, introversion being just as taken into account in corporations as much as diversity for women and, and cultural and religion. I mean, obviously it's not as important as those, but those ones are covered now. We're all focused on those. Let's look at introversion next. But for me, I believe that if you're going to make a true difference in the world, the first thing you need to realize is making it, making the world shift may not be completely accepted at first. You may be batting your own drum. And if it's worth it, you need to push through and make it happen. And I think all of these movies kind of demonstrate, and I think any time I've had a hard time, I throw on one of these movies, and you're right, while I don't freely admit it out to the world often, you know, and most people will say that, you know, I, I, you know, I can, you know, I, my, my fiance will say, I'm very, you know, I've never seen you cry, but I'll put one of those movies on by myself, and I'll get a little bit teary-eyed, because for me, it really does resonate with, this is what's important. Yeah, no, it's so true exactly with what you're just saying right now. Um, particularly when it comes down to... Um, sorry if you guys can hear the background there, but we'll try and do as best we can in post. But what I was saying was that like uh, one of the incredible things that comes out of the understanding of the mind, um, and something that you said, what was it? Sorry, that was it, yeah. What you said was that basically when you're trying to go out there, you're beating to your, you're, you're basically beating to the beat of your own drum. You're walking, you're marching to, your, to the beat of your own drum. You will have three things. There's three levels of truth from what we've been told. Number one, you'll get massive opposition. Then you'll get some support and struggle. And then ultimately it'll be widely accepted as as truth. So the first one is like opposition is you call the heretic a liar. Then it's, okay, maybe he's not lying. Maybe the stuff's out there that's kind of true. And then finally, it's just universally accepted. So if you're going through that phase, I agree with you. Just go through that, that through, go through that, um, go through that struggle. Because anyone, anything that's worth doing in life isn't worth doing easily, if that makes sense. And one of the best examples of this, again, is Rocky. 
And again, I'm always going to go back to that movie because, dear lord, that movie made me cry. Speaking of which, which Rocky was your favorite? You know, I actually really did like I did like the Creed one at the end, the the brand new one. That but I, I I think you can't go really wrong with the original. It's funny. I mean, every one of them has this story of it looks like he's not going to do it, and then he succeeds. So I think that. One of the things that they they kind of really nailed with the Rocky stories is the that every time you feel wow he's not going to pull this off and then he does. But I think you can't go wrong with the with the first one. I mean, the, the, all of them do amazingly, but I, I think the first one is the, the the real story of you know how he came up from nothing and succeeded and triumphed. That's probably the most important. I think one of the most critical elements of every one of those, though, is Rocky's mindset, right? Like when he's being beaten to a pulp in the ring, he never loses focus. I mean, you, you can take this story. I mean, I think there was a lot of people that commented on the synergies between this and Muhammad Ali's great victory in the ring about mindset and how you never give up. And yet people look at these stories in the boxing arena and they say, wow, these people are amazing. And they don't realize that in life, a lot of times you're getting beaten to a pulp before you finally make this victory that changes the world, changes your life or changes something significant that you may not take the time to really celebrate. And I think that that's really important in all elements of life is to realize that, you know, that yes, adversity seeds the success in our future, but you know, don't just read the book, The Secret and go, oh, if I just think about it, it's gonna happen. No, be willing to charge forward, be willing to take a beating, but be willing to learn what you need to, to take very similar to Muhammad Ali or Rocky Balboa, Plan it, have a strategy that you're employing so that while you're taking that beating, you know there's a light at the end of the tunnel and you know you're going to get there. Agreed entirely. And something else that really got to me about uh, Rocky Balboa's in the movie, it's, um, it's this idea that, oh God, what was it? Sorry, he did this YouTube interview that was absolutely amazing where he went through what he was feeling um, during the shoot of Rocky. And it's really in-depth. It's a couple of years ago. I think it was 2013. He, he spoke about it. And it was amazing. And he says the last scene is something he's always tried to recreate, which is this idea of his character being so quiet and quite introverted in his own right. He goes, he's just a quiet guy observing everyone, trying to get by, do his own thing. And um, when Adrian goes into the ring, his first words to her are, where's your hat? Because he was he's just so... He's just so enamored that he notices everything about her. That he's like, where's your hat? I don't care about me. Where are, you? Where, where are you? And it's this idea at the final... If Go back and just watch the ending of Rocky. You'll see, he says, the feeling that I'm trying to capture is that high that this person's reached the pinnacle of their career and now they've got to come back down again. And he's coming to terms with that in that one shot. And because, um, again, they didn't really know there was going to be a Rocky 2. They only knew Rocky 1 was being made and they had no idea what would happen afterwards. So obviously he wanted to end it on this on on this dramatic note, and it's so beautifully well done. So when you rewatch it, you understand it. Now, kind of coming back to sales, something that I do find that's quite interesting is this idea of a framework, and it's something I want to ask you about. So, what is something that you build as in a presentation? How do you structure your presentations so people can, um, so someone that's either an extra or an introvert can actually follow? Like, what is the structure of your presentations? And, and I'm, taking, I'm assuming from here you're talking about sales presentations. Yes, so yes, that's the, all. Yes, yeah, so, and the reason I ask that question is, is quite frequently 
you know, as an introvert, I network and, you know, I, I, I pretty much moved to Austin, Texas. And within the space of about five or six months, I was invited to events as one of the most connected people in Austin. So a lot of times I speak on the structure of how to network effectively too, and, and also how to present from the stage in a successful way as an introvert. But in regards to a sales presentation, the first thing I want people to understand is the steps, of course, will go into them and they absolutely do matter. However, the important thing is to know with a sales process, it's really about having a series of steps that's important. The reason why I'm suggesting that is what you'll find is most people go off the cuff. They say what they say and nothing ever improves. What I want people to go into the sale with is a mindset of continuous improvement, a mindset of experimentation. You know, add one thing, change one thing at a time, see if it improves or reduces their ability to sell and then make the next step. That's the key to successful selling. Now, the process of selling specifically is really more of a understanding of what milestone leads to the next. For instance, at the start, you need to develop rapport with a client. For instance, if you go into a room and you just start talking about what you do, you develop no relationship. Now, an introvert loves doing that. They want to go in and they want to just say, okay, let, let, me, you know, let me start to tell you about my product or let me ask you a few questions. The problem with that is even though an introvert doesn't exactly love developing rapport, the whole concept of rapport is absolutely necessary. So in the book, I teach a few strategies on exactly how to plan rapport generators so you can get through it quickly. Nothing where you go into a room and notice something and strike up a conversation. Introverts are really, really not great at that. So they need to have structured statements that they say that create that rapport. Now, they don't have to do it well because one of the key elements coming up around uh, that we'll talk about allows you to create much better rapport. And we'll get into that in a second. The next real key focus is once you've developed that rapport, what you need to do is set an agenda. So many people get straight into the questions or straight into the telling. Well, obviously, if you get into the telling, people are going to see you as a brochure salesperson. They may as well just read online what the product's about and figure it out for themselves. But if people get straight into asking questions, a lot of people are like, well, hang on a second. These are questions that I wouldn't want my competitors to know. And you're just asking me straight off the bat. I don't feel comfortable. It feels like an interrogation. Yeah. So setting an agenda would be something as simple as saying, you know, at this stage, what I would love to do is ask you a few questions about exactly the situation of your business right now or exactly where you're at right now so I can best determine what I believe as the best solution for you. So would it be okay if I ask you a few questions so that I make sure that I don't waste any of your time? Now, no one's going to say, no, I'd really prefer you to waste my time. So asking that question and setting the agenda so people have some context for what you're about to ask makes, you know, is the, is the most important key element to leading into questions. Then you want to ask a, a group of questions, not just off the cuff questions that you haven't thought about, but structured questions that lead people to the product and service that you have. Once you've asked great questions, and I always call it, you know, getting the ammo for the sale, because, you know, once they've told you all the problems that they have, it's so easy for you to tell a client exactly why they need your service, but you shouldn't fall victim to that. You never tell a client why they need your service or why their, your product and service will work for them. The diff, what you're supposed to do or what you need to do is instead tell a story. So what I always suggest that people do is then tell a story of a person like the customer that had a similar problem that as a result of the product or service that they're selling had a great result. 
Now, stories have this wonderful, well, a couple of different benefits. The first thing is people remember 22 times more information when embedded into a story. You think about if I was to tell you uh, porridge, chairs, and beds, and ask you to remember that a year from now, you wouldn't remember those items. You wouldn't remember what order they were in. But if I was to tell you the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you would remember that she ate porridge, she broke the chair, and then she slept in the bed. Now, people remember 22 times more information when embedded into a story. And as a result, if you tell stories, if you had 10 salespeople that were out speaking to the customer before you, they would still remember more, more of your story detail than what they would remember about the other 10 presentations. Also, it, it's scientifically proven, studies out of Princeton, to create a natural resonance between the teller and the listener. As an introvert, this is huge. Basically, it's creating artificial rapport. So when you, since we were, since we were, you know, the dawn of time, people used to come into town and tell stories, and that's how we developed relationships. So our brain has been trained to see a storyteller as somebody like them, as a friend, and it creates this artificial rapport. And thirdly. It, it actually short circuits the logical mind. So if I tell you all these reasons for why my product will work for you, I'm speaking to your logical mind and your logical mind's going, yeah, maybe, maybe not. But instead, if I tell you a story about this person, it short circuits the logical mind and the emotional mind hears it. And they can listen, you know, while they might listen to you for eight to 10 seconds, tell you why they think it might, why you think it might work for them. They'll probably listen to a story for two and a half minutes and then listen to the moral of this person was like you, had the same objection and had a successful outcome. They can't disagree with that story. So they're much more likely to just assume it as fact and continue on to want to buy. And that really brings you into introverts hate asking for the sale. So why ask? So there are two things that I talk about. One is to put your foot in the water or toe in the water, as a lot of Americans say it, and ask the ask something which is an innocuous question like, so just want to double check, would a day or a night class work better for you? Or you know, do you prefer red or black? Or something like that where it's a decision-making question, but it's not would you like to move forward? And if they say, you know, oh, no, I'm not ready to move forward. You say, oh, no, no, I wasn't. It's just, uh, you know, I wasn't going that down that direction. I just need to better explain the next element of the product or service. I need to understand this so I can better articulate it to you. Now they feel bad. They're on the back foot. And you know you need to tell more stories and get ask more questions. And then the last qu last element is really just assuming the sale. Customers hate to buy, but they love to be sold to. So, sorry, customer, customers hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. Yeah, I was going to so, say it's the other way around on that one. <laughs> totally the other way around. You can tell it's first thing in the morning here, right? So, yeah, the, the focus here is that if you don't ask the question, do you want to move forward, then the chances of you getting the sale are much higher. So you just assume the sale. And once you ask that innocuous question, you just ask them if they've got an ABN number or an EIN number, whatever the, the legal business number is for your tax in your country. And, or you can ask them if they've got a driver's license number. You send them off for that. When they come back, if you're filling out paperwork and you'll find nine times out of 10, the customer just assumes that they're buying and they move forward. Yeah, no, it really, really works. Assuming the sales probably one of the biggest things that helped my sales career uh, really take off whenever I spoke to people. It's the idea and something that I want to instill to people who listen to this, if you work for yourself, which most of you guys do, if you have that shy confidence, shy feeling, oh, I don't know if I can or, you know, follow what Matthew said, but if you still can't assume the sale, just have the same thought. You're basically, and again, I use this, I don't mean in an offensive way, it's just something I listened to years ago and just stuck in my mind, again, a story that stuck in my mind, is you want to you want to imagine yourself as a pie 
and you're walking around a camp full of fat kids that are ready to eat you. So you don't have to sell yourself to them, they want you. You just have to be there. So it's the same same principle. You're just there doing what you do, telling a story, and letting them go forward with you. That's just a quick exercise I mentally use. The other one, um, to kind of piggyback off of Matthew's, is the idea of just asking an innocuous question and just moving forward. And people, more likely than not, they just tend to go with it. And there's a psychological um, phenomenon that happens when you do that. I'm not sure if you actually know this, Matthew, but I assume, I assume you actually do, is that when you take charge, extrovert or an introvert, by actually assuming the sale, the part, because your frame is stronger, the other person actually falls into that frame and they just go along with it. Well, there's one really big factor here. Remember that buying, especially when you're doing business con consulting, right, or something like that. Let's say you're selling telecommunications to a business or you're selling a, a photocopier or a phone system or, I don't know, reams of paper, whatever, and you're sitting down with somebody. Remember what their life is going to be like if they don't buy off you. It means they've got to sit down with another salesperson or another business. That's not what they want to do. They want to get back to work. The reason why they won't make a decision with you is because you haven't done your job right. And that means they still need to feel they, they still feel like they need to speak to somebody else. So if you do your job right, they want to make the decision quicker. They want to get back to their day job. They don't make money from making purchase decisions. Now, if you've got a meeting selling something that they don't absolutely need, Again, they don't have another meeting with another salesperson, but if you get them excited about something, they now have to go out and evaluate a bunch of other solutions to make a decision with you unless you make, unless you do the sales process right. So learn the sales process, get the steps in, uh, get the steps of the process. I mean, you can do that. As I said, you don't have to buy my book. Just download the first chapter and just, you know, write those steps that are in the first chapter on a piece of paper and then Go out and record your sales process or just you know write it down or whatever you're saying with a customer now. Put that into the steps that I suggest in the first chapter. Then you'll notice there's a bunch of stuff that won't fit. Throw that out. That's not helping you sell. Then put in a load of information. Stories are generally what a lot of people have as gaps, but fill in the gaps of the sales process. Do nothing more than that. And you'll double your sales process, you'll double your sales in the next 60 days. But the thing that I really want to make clear to everybody is customers don't want to keep shopping. They want to buy from you. But so the psychology is you should never buy from a salesperson on the spot. Now, my book was actually, even though it's helped a huge number of people that are professional salespeople, my book was actually written for the small business owner because I find that a lot of functional skill service providers or small business owners themselves, the hardest thing for them, I mean, they didn't get into business to be a salesperson. They got into a business to run a business that revolved around them, their family, and their life, not the other way around, or where they could earn a good six-figure income doing what they love. And then they're like, oh gosh, I've got to actually sell. And because it's not something they got into business to do, they steer clear of it. Here's the truth. One is, if you learn a sales process, you get to help more of your ideal people instead of trying to bend yourself to every single client. But secondly, you help a lot more people because not only do they not have to deal with salespeople that may not have their best intentions at heart, like a lot of introverts out there do, but they also have to go through this horrible process of speaking to so many more people and then trying to figure out which solution's best for them. But if you just tell them a story, which is one of the steps in the process of someone like them that had the outcome that they're absolutely desiring, they're just going to move forward. It really is that simple. That is so very true. 
man, you are literally just on fire right now. So one of the things I really did want to ask was that you actually give out a bonus uh, for anyone that buys your book on your website, right? <laughs> so I was on Jamie Mod uh, Masters podcast uh, in January, and she said that this was the most ridiculous giveaway in the world because it was so much of my time. But I just I I like to over deliver. My see, this is what I really mean about trying to make a difference in the world, right? So for me. As an introvert myself, there was nothing out there for me. I mean, I learned how to sell on YouTube videos by watching a lot of extroverts teach me how to sell, and I had to filter through all of the rubbish of bulldog techniques and hard closing that just made me feel like I wanted to vomit. Yep. So for me, when I wrote this book, I wrote this book to make a difference. I made this. I wrote this book because everybody else would say, you know, there's all these books out there that go, be empowered, be an introvert, but they won't teach you how to be successful in the things that you need to be successful. So that's why I was like, I want to write this book because not, it's not a, I mean, first thing is, while it's a bestseller, everybody knows you don't make money out of books, right? You make money out of the, the things that come off the book. And for me, my focus was not about that at all. For me, everything that I do was al is aligned with a cause. You know, Small Business Festival is the number three festival in America for small business. I found that it's all free events. I get the corporate sponsors to pay to create all these free events to help small business because that's my mission. You know, I put the reason why I won an international blogging award is because I put so much free information out on out out to the world to help people learn and grow, and that's always been my focus. And introversion was no difference. It's why I found founded National Introverts Week in, in America, which is the third week of March, it's because for me, I like to do everything that I do around changing the world around a cause that makes a difference. And for me, that's what the Introverts Edge was about. And that's why in the first chapter of my book, I give away the entire sales process because I'm like, you know, you don't need to learn all of it to, uh, you don't need to read the whole book to change your business, you know, for the better forever. And I think that that's one of the things that I really wanted to see happen in the world is for for introverts, for service providers, for business owners to really know that they can do this and it's really not that hard. Yeah, I agree. And something I was actually alluding to as well with your bonuses that you actually were giving away here is the fact that you actually do have an introverts edge implementation video group access and a yearly regular live streams Q and A's with you. And going back to the YouTube videos, something you mentioned. Uh, someone that did endorse this book that really, really made me smile that they endorsed it was uh, Jeffrey Gittimer, who, the people that don't know who he is, check out his books. He's absolutely amazing. Jeffrey was kind of my first sales coach, like my first official sales coach um, that I picked up by watching him, you know, online. Now, I'm assuming you've met Jeffrey, right? <laughs> so actually, Jeffrey's an interesting one. And actually, just to, to go back to the, the bonuses quickly, because you, you did mention them. Um, and I, I think that you know, the important thing for people to know is it's not just one training video. I created an entire training course off the back of the book that people get for free. So it's a whole series of videos. I've flown in successful clients from all over the world that share the barriers they faced, how they overcame them, and the learnings they made along the way. So there's a huge amount of training. I mean, I should be charging thousands of dollars for this course, and I just give it to people for free when they buy the book. It also comes with a Facebook group, a community of like-minded people all trying to you know, succeed in sales as introverts, whether they be small business owners or whether they be salespeople. And also there's live streams with me where I actually help and mentor people throughout the year. So you get all of that with the book. And, you know, Jeffrey knew all these things and that's why he really endorsed this book. Now, Jeffrey is totally an extrovert, right? He is yep. not an introvert. There are a lot of people that endorse the book that are salespeople, that are sales trainers, that are 
introverted people, but Jeffrey is definitely not one of those. Nope. Now, I'm actually, so, and actually today as we speak, I, I got a proof. Um, Selling Power Magazine is sent, is writing this huge one-page review on my book, and so is Top Sales World. They're both going out tomorrow, but the Selling Power Magazine, the founder of Selling Power Magazine is a personal friend of mine, and so he wrote the review, and he tried to stay impartial, but he'd been hearing about the book for, what, nearly three years, four years. So when I wrote the book, he's like, I, he said, how can I help? And I said, you know what I really want? I want an endorsement from Jeffrey Gittemore because I've never met the bloke. He's never, he's not in my circle and I would really like him to be. So uh, so he actually introduced me to Jeffrey a while back. And, you know, he and I are both CSPs, uh, which are certified speaking professionals at the National Speakers Association. So we have a lot in common, but we'd never officially met. So he actually, you know, we chatted, uh, he, he checked out my book, he, he wrote an endorsement but um, actually, for the first time, I'll be meeting him. I think it's about four or five weeks away. I'm actually, uh, he's actually interviewing me for his podcast because he, you know, he focuses a lot on extroverted sales training and structures, and he really wanted me to come in and offer a conceptual difference to the stuff that he's that he puts on his podcast. So actually, you know, I'm a big fan of Jeffrey and the work that he does. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to to being on his podcast and adding value there as well. But yeah, um, I, I, I really am excited that I think one of his book, his book, some Zig Ziglar books and some Brian Tracy books, I would say they're probably some of the best known sales literature out there. And the ones that I would, you know, I, I mean, I've read a lot of those now. And I should say, I haven't read them. I've listened to them on Audible. Yep. And of Audible. You know, whole problem with not being able to read, right? So <laughs> I listen to all of them, but I listen to them on three times speed. So I get through them quickly. Yep. But those are the ones that I've gone back to many times. Those are the ones that I've slowed down to listen to, to take notes. And, you know, while I, you know, while for me, there's some bulldog techniques in there and there's some hard closing that just don't resonate with me, the, a lot of the stuff is amazing material. And one of the things I say about my book is, you know, my book's not new stuff. A lot of the stuff in my book is things you will find in their books. The difference is that what I've done is really curated it to create a process that has no bulldog techniques, no hard closing. It's just a natural step-by-step -step process that leads to a sale. It just happens to lead to more sales than most extroverts could ever achieve. Yeah. And something I, the reason I brought Jeffrey was because, again, he's an extrovert and very much he was one of the first few people that actually told me, get a system in place. Start having something in place to track and test your sales to make sure that you know where you're going. And the guy's amazing. So glad that you'll be on his podcast. He's absolutely, he's just a great guy um, from what I've been told. Now, something I do want to ask that's completely left field, and it is more of an idea because the, th the idea of the show is more or less to show all sides. Now, what do you do outside to like kind of relax yourself? Because that's something I've noticed as far few entrepreneurs and business owners, they don't really take time away from their work. And when they do, it's it's like they feel guilty. So what is it that you do that takes time away from work that allows you to explore other avenues of yourself? So that's an interesting question. Now, firstly, I'm a big believer in do what other people won't in the short term so you can live the life that other people can't for the long term. However, there's a line to be drawn there because most, most entrepreneurs do that for their entire lives. Yep. That sucks. Yep. So the thing for me, I mean, I travel a lot. I mean, in 2013, I took the entire year off and traveled the entire world. So I spent three months in South America, three months in the US, three months in, in Europe. And I was actually going to do 
the the Asia leg after that. But, you know, every story ends with a girl, right? So I actually met a girl in the US and ended up back in the US for the next three months. And then I went, you know what, like this girl, I'm going to have to move here. So I actually moved to Austin, Texas. And, you know, now we're engaged. We're getting married in September. So uh, I'd like, thank you, mate. I appreciate it. So yeah, things things worked out. But for me, here's the thing that I kind of focus on. I'm all on and for a period of time, and I set myself a deadline. For instance, right now I'm going through a book launch. So my fiance, Brittany, knows that until March 31st, right, that's the specific date deadline. Till March 31st, I am 100% all on. As soon as the March 31st deadline is, a, is hit, I'm going back to normal life. And then after that, I'm taking a large period of time off. That's how my world works. For entrepreneurs, you've got to realize that you're doing this for a reason. Now, if you listen to a Gary V, he'll tell you that you've got to do the hustle. And that is absolutely true. So if you've got a big project or a big launch or something you're working on and you're taking a weekend off, feel absolutely guilty because you're supposed to be hustling at that time. But the whole idea about being an entrepreneur as opposed to being in business for yourself is when you hustle, your entire existence when you're doing that for an employer, it doesn't improve. You make somebody else rich, and when you take some time off or you chill out or you start to underperform, your boss goes, you know what, that staff member used to be great, but now they're not. On your bike, no longer employed, and now you've lost your job. So you've always, there's no point hustling if you're an employee. However, if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, a service provider, the whole point of hustling is so that you can maybe unemploy yourself, maybe do a big promotion so your entire life improves. The great thing about being the boss is you're not going to get fired when you start to shirk a little bit. So the goal for me is, you know, in my first business, I worked 100 hours a week to get to where I was, but I took two months off every single year around Christmas time. And I went and traveled and did some amazing holidays. You know, on Friday and Saturday night, I would go out and have a wonderful time. You know, I was young, I was in my early 20s. So I went and had great times. When I was in my last business, I made sure that I took a, a large chunk of time. So I took two weeks off every quarter to go and travel and do something amazing. But then the rest of the time I hustled. Now. Now that I'm engaged, I have to change the equation, right? So now that I'm engaged, my fiance really likes to have weekends together. So in the past, while I used to do that and then travel, now I take some weekends off, but then I do what I call intensive periods. So when I was launching my new website, I had to do an intensive period. When I'm launching my book, I'm doing an intensive period, but then I have downtime. Like I went to Australia for Christmas, I took nearly a month off. We're going on our honeymoon, I'm taking nearly a month off. The whole focus around doing the hustle is not to feel guilty when you're not doing it, it's to have earned it and make sure that you have, firstly, the, the money in the bank to be able to afford to go and you know shirk a little bit, but secondly, not feel guilty, feel like this is your reward to yourself for doing so amazingly. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you entirely. Like, far few people actually do that, I mean, myself included. Um... And I actually would say this much. I'm contrary in the fact that I actually disagree with the whole... Uh, well, I agree and I disagree. So Gary V's hustle technique. Sure, for short periods of time, go for it. Short bursts always work. But the person that hustles 24-7, 365, you know, that, that whole thing. Dude, I can't be around you. You're just... You're, you're a bit too much for me at that point. Because I'm like, where's the fun? I mean, you do this for a reason, like you said, you do it for a reason. Find your why, do it for a reason, and actually work in that time period. And the contrarian to me is like, even when I'm working those periods, I still allow myself to have like an hour off 
to just relax. Like, you know, let, let the shoulder stress drop, stretch out and come back. Because when I take time off, my brain just works better. Now, one of my favorite, go. One of the things that I find that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is your body tells, first thing, if you're not doing what you love, it's always going to feel like a hustle. And that's one of the biggest problems I see in, in business ownership altogether, right? For me, I'd built five multi-million dollar businesses before I turned 30, but the first couple, they made me miserable. So I always felt like I was hustling. I mean, I was printing money for some of them, but you know, I was exhausted all the time. So I just didn't feel like I was enjoying it. Now, firstly, if you're in a business like that, you're always going to make more money doing what you love because you get this natural energy. I mean, I was there was this time a couple of years ago where I did a video shoot on, I booked it on Thanksgiving, uh, so the day after Thanksgiving because I just, it didn't really, I'm a new American, right? So didn't really know it was Thanksgiving. The next day I booked a video shoot and I also booked two TV interviews the morning of and I'm like, I'm just going to go and do a day of shooting. Now, because it was Thanksgiving, my fiance had a bunch of, um, you know, her family over. Obviously they were up till late. I had to try and have an early night, but that just didn't happen because they were making noise in the house. And I ended up, Mate, you know, I, I ended up getting very little sleep, and then I was up at four in the morning to do a TV interview at five thirty in the morning, another TV interview at seven thirty in the morning, and then I was in the studio at nine a.m. And at the end of an eight-hour shoot, they were exhausted, and I still had gas in the tank. Now in the morning, I was exhausted, but just getting to talk about what I love allowed me to achieve where everybody else wasn't. And this is one of the things that I say with a lot of people in business. If you're not passionate about what you do, what you do, you're never going to be able to hustle as hard as somebody that does, that that is because you just everything takes energy. For me, I get received energy from talking about this stuff. So you could never compete with me in my marketplace unless you're as passionate as I am. So I actually have a, a, a podcast episode that I direct people to all the time. It's called "Forget About Goals: Why Is the Key to Success." And it's on my Better Business Coach podcast. It's episode number 17. And what I find is a lot of people, when they've done that, what they realize is they're in the wrong business or they're trying to do something that's practical, even though they're not as passionate about it. And what this podcast episode is designed to do is really help people tap into their passions and their goals so they know what they want to do. And, you know, there's a guy, uh, Jim Carrey, famous comedian. Amazing. I always direct people to his quote that you know his father was a, you know he was he was a funny guy too and he did this as a, an address for his university and he said my father was a really funny man and I learned you know I he could have been a great comedian however he decided to make the safe choice and become an accountant instead many years later his father was laid off and their family had to do what they needed to do to survive I mean Jim Carrey actually lived in a van with his family and was a janitor at his high school just to get through college and just to get through school. And he said, I learned a great deal from my father, but nothing more important you can fail at what you don't want. So why not take a chance of what you love? Now, I would segue to that and say, it's not just about taking a chance at what you love. If you can get over the mindset of thinking you're doing what's practical and focus on what you love, you'll find opportunities to make more money that way that you've never seen before, but you constantly miss the point because you're focusing on all these other things as well. Fear is the biggest driver towards mediocrity. So that's why I really say you've got to focus on doing what you love. But then when you're doing a business that's based around what you love, you will end up hating it if you never give yourself time off. So me, I just when I get to a point where I don't want to do what I'm doing at the moment, I just stop. Because 
for me to do, I love doing what I do. So if there's a point where I don't want to do it, I stop. Because I know if I rest, watch a movie, spend some quality time with Brittany, take some time for me, then a few hours later, my brain's going to be going, you know what, I want to work. Not, oh my God, I'm guilty, I have to. I want to work. That's the difference. See, I love that. That is absolutely brilliant because that is so true. And I, again, I can only draw my own personal experience. Like, I hit a wall personally with writing advertising and copy for people a few years ago. Even a year ago, where I was like, I just want to quit. I don't want to do it anymore. They're like, why? I was like, I'm constantly working. I'm taking no time off. A friend of mine said to me, take a week, maybe even a month off. Just don't do any client work. Go goof off. Go do other things. Do some consulting if you want. You know, just do, uh, you know, just pay your way forward. So I did like three hours worth of consulting. That paid for like three months of my time. And I was like, great. I'm just going to goof off for a month. Go travel. Go relax. Go spend time with family. Play the piano. Do that kind of thing. A month and a half later, got the bug. A friend of mine just said, hey, I know you're like on hiatus right now, but I can't find anyone else that can actually answer this question. Do you mind? I was like, yeah, sure. Go for it. Sends me the sales piece. I rewrite the entire thing in about eight minutes and send it back to him. And he was like, you're back, aren't you? I was like, what do you mean? He goes, this is probably the best ad piece I've seen you write in the last two years. I was like, cool. He goes, that's what you got to do. Keep taking time off. Relax. Come back and do what you need to do. And that's so powerful. Now, we're heading we're heading into uh, one of my favorite parts of the show because we're nearly there. And that is the, uh, it's my favorite question really, is what are like three of your favorite books that you love to read? And here's the stipulation. One has to be a fiction book and one, uh, and the other two can be self-development, business, nonfiction, whatever it is, but one of them has to be a fiction book. What would they be? So firstly, I have only ever read one book, maybe two actually read. So, and that was... Sure, no, no, I'll, I'll answer well. that. I'll answer that question as well. But um, Last of the Mohegans was one book that I read for fun, um, which was yeah, it was like pulling teeth. But I got through it in about two years. Um, <laughs> and the other one was a school project, which was Macbeth. Um, now, of course, you know when I was studying for my MBA, I had to do a bunch of reading, and that was <clears throat> horrific. But books that I've listened to, it's funny. So I watch a lot of movies. I don't really read a lot of novels, but books that I absolutely love, um, and this is really kind of what gravitated to me towards writing The Introvert's Edge the way it was written, which is more like a more like a novel, more entertaining, more of a story. You know, I really loved Four Hour Work Week. We talked, uh, you talked about Tim Ferriss before uh, before we aired today. I really liked Four Hour Work Week. I felt that 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 book was really well written. Um, the problem that I found with it is it, you know, it talks about the premise of the book is work you know do a, a four-hour work week but it doesn't give you any practical strategies to how to do that so it's a great mind shift but the strategies aren't there so i wanted to make sure mine actually delivered the strategies as well but i loved the way it was written the other book uh that i you know i absolutely love is rich dad poor dad i thought that was a a, a, a an amazingly well-written book and then one that was a little bit more technical, but you know, one of the things that I really focus on teaching people now is that sales is actually really step three in the puzzle, right? If you have a strong and unified message that excites and inspires people to want to know more about you, like instead of saying I'm a marketing trainer or I'm a sales coach, I say I'm the rapid growth guy. By saying that, it excites and inspires people to want to know more about me. 
rather than me feeling like I'm stuffing things down people's throat. If you have that, the sales process becomes easier. If you speak to a small niche group of customers as opposed to the entire market, because speaking to the entire market is speaking to everyone, which is really speaking to no one. I mean, which is no, no business should ever start there. When you've got no testimonials and no real credibility in the marketplace, focus on specializing so you understand your customers better than they understand themselves, and then focus on on the sales system. So because otherwise you're always going to start off really struggling because the other people are cheaper and more efficient and more effective. So I talk about the three steps towards rapid growth now. But you know, for me it's all around the for me my entire book was around teaching those practical strategies. So when you when when I looked at books, those those are really the books that I loved, but then the the more technical strategy book which I was going to mention was Blue Ocean Strategy, which is actually a really cool book that I read. It's a little bit heavy um, and talks a lot more about marketing, but I gravitated to that because it's a really great way of thinking, and I think a lot of small businesses should probably check it out. It doesn't really relate to small businesses, but it's a great shift in mindset uh, that, you know, if you get to the last chapter of my book where, you know, the, the, the first chapters all talk about the sales process, the last chapter talks about, the second last chapter actually is the my ghostwriter coming out from behind um, the curtain and actually sharing his own personal journey with working with me and how I took him from $12,000 to $300,000 a year. And then the the last story is actually a story around taking you from sales completely back to step one of my process, you know, get the message right, get the niche right, and then focus on the sales system. So there, um, you know, the that all really, a lot of that strategy uh, you know, came from me directly, but then I read Blue Ocean Strategy afterwards and I was like, wow, okay, this is a really smart way of articulating it for corporate. But if you're a small business, you know, the last chapter of this book will really help you resonate with that. But those those are the three primary books. In regards to novels, I actually haven't really read one or listened to one outside Last of the Mohegans. I'm a movie watcher. Movie watchers is how I decombust. Oh. There we go. Yeah, same. Huge movie fans. The reason why I have a uh, movie pass over here, they usually spend, I think it's like twenty pounds a month, and I get to, I, I go to the movies once a week just to relax. It's a great way for me to relax uh, on a big screen or just go home. But as you're not a book guy, and I know this is on Audible, um, check out a book called the if you like crime thrillers. And the reason I say that is because this is really well written. It has a lot of emotional points is The Crucifix Killer by Chris Carter. Great book, absolutely brilliant, really well written. And when I started reading again, um, obviously dyslexic takes a long time. I got through his book in three days. I gave it to my friend, they got through it and got, got through it in one, but like, they just, they were like, I couldn't stop reading. It's such a page turner. You just constantly want to keep reading. It's on Audible as well. It's pretty cool. But Matthew, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to be uh, a guest on my show today. I really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, guys, go check out The Introvert's Edge. Uh, also check out Matthew's site, Matthew Pollard. That's P-O-L-L-A-R-D.com. Um, seriously, explore it, get on his mailing list. I guarantee you'll find so much great information from him. And this guy's just a straight up giver, so he'll give you everything that you need. Just apply it, and I guarantee you, you will start seeing an increase in sales. Um, Matthew, again, thanks again for being here, buddy. I really, really appreciate it. Great. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Guys, take care. I'll see you on the next episode of Adel Marcy Unplugged.